Good morning. It's Wednesday, October 13th. I'm Duarte Geraldino. Shemita Basu is off. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. Did you have cereal this morning? Maybe some Raisin Bran? Or are you a Frosted Flakes kind of person? Your breakfast is at the center of a big labor dispute right now. About 1,400 workers at Kellogg's cereal factories in several states are on strike. This is more than the usual fight over pay, hours, or benefits. It's a test of how much power workers have right now, one that's playing out across industries. The thing to keep in mind is, companies are competing for people while there are labor shortages. So now, employees are testing their power in a lot of different ways, including going on strike. The Washington Post speaks to the president of the Kellogg's Employees Union. He says some workers are forced to pull 12 to 16-hour shifts seven days a week. The union wants a new deal that includes more hiring so plants can run without straining workers. Kellogg says it offered a contract with better pay, benefits, and 90% of the time, employees volunteered to work extra hours. People who work for Kellogg's are part of the same union that represents Frito-Lay workers in Kansas. A walkout there lasted 19 days over similar complaints, you know, forced overtime, 84-hour work weeks. Time magazine takes a broader view of how strikes are becoming more common as workers get fed up with pandemic labor conditions. As of early this month, there were 10 strikes across the U.S. That includes Kellogg's. And consider the diversity of industries here. School bus drivers in Maryland, airport janitors in Denver, nurses in Massachusetts, all of them demanding more from employers. And there may be more coming. Nearly 60,000 film and TV union members recently voted to allow a strike. American workers may have leverage. Labor Department numbers show 4.3 million people quit their jobs in August. That's nearly 3% of the workforce. It's a sign many people feel confident they can leave a job and find a better one. The folks who make your Rice Krispies and others, they're flexing their collective muscle, striking to get companies to pay up. It's fights like these that may define the future of work in America. Okay, so tell me if you've heard this one before. You got a party this weekend, a wedding, a baby shower, something you need to look good for. But nobody has time to go out there and shop, so you find something to wear online. No dressing room, no problem thanks to what's called bracketing. Bracketing is the practice of ordering multiple sizes of a particular item of clothing on the internet. Usually it means ordering one size down and one size up, ordering a bunch of different size things to figure it out later. That's Amanda Mall from The Atlantic. In a new article, she writes about how this convenience and the free shipping that makes it possible has a dark side. That process and that sort of like back and forth of clothing can have a real problem when it comes to waste of energy, waste of uh, resources, and waste of the clothes themselves. Depending on the category of merchandise you're talking about, the estimate is that about 25% of returns are just thrown away because it's not profitable to put them back into any kind of revenue stream. So many returns just going to landfills. Mull explains the industry created this nightmare. The practice of having a lenient return policy has been a part of successful retailing since the beginning of retailing. And then a lot of other retailers saw that gambit work and adopted it and then 
consumers in general just became very used to it and expect it now. This problem is especially bad for so-called fast fashion, you know, the inexpensive clothing you might find at places like Forever 21. Mull explains companies like these tend to have high return rates, and it just doesn't make financial sense for them to put a returned item back on sale like before. So if you're looking at a dress that costs $25 retail, and that's what you bought of at, you get it home, you decide you don't want it, you send it back. If that return costs $10, then that has already decimated the margin on that, on that item, which is about 12 bucks. Companies don't like to talk about the reality of so many returns going in the garbage. All but one brand Mull reached out to declined to comment. She says, breaking this cycle may come down to you and me, the shoppers. Without some sort of systemic change in this and without some sort of like broad based consumer reaction to it. I just don't know how this starts changing. The pandemic, it took a toll on our mental health. Routines were turned upside down and we were isolated at home, missing friends and family. A lot of people reached out to counselors to deal with this, but these days, it's really tough to find a therapist who takes insurance. You often have a rough choice. Big out-of-pocket fees or no care at all. The Wall Street Journal looks at what's going on and what you can do about it. In some cities, demand is so strong, many therapists don't accept insurance plans. Mental health professionals say insurance companies don't pay them enough. And working with them means a lot more paperwork. Plus, plenty of patients are willing to pay for the whole thing out-of-pocket. But if you don't want to... Here's some advice the journal got on getting mental care without running up a big bill. First, try online therapy. You'll have more choices, so it could be easier to find someone who takes your insurance. Also, ask about what's called a single case agreement. That's basically where a provider who's out of network makes a deal with your insurance company. And finally, be persistent. One math teacher dealing with depression told the journal she had to email a lot of different therapists. Some didn't even respond. But she found someone who could take her on. And now she's not paying hundreds of dollars per session, just a $20 copay. A lot of people out there think Major League Baseball is boring. And there may be some truth to that. Data shows average games have stretched from two and a half hours to more than three. And during all that extra time, there's way less stuff happening on the field. Hits are near historic lows, strikeouts at all-time highs, fans are fading out. For years now, average attendance has been dropping. Bloomberg Businessweek looks into what the league's doing to make the game more interesting. This story takes us inside a series of MLB experiments. The league is tweaking the rules to sharpen the game's dull edges. This is happening in the independent Atlantic League. It's a low-profile place where they can mess with the rules without too much risk. These changes, they're very slight to make sure spectators mostly won't notice. They make the bases a few inches bigger so they're easier to steal. They make the pitchers move back a foot so batters have a better chance at hits. And they limit visits to the mound by coaches to speed everything up. Changes that get results could be put into action in the big leagues. So if some of the games lately had you yawning, no, the industry notices your boredom. And maybe next season, new rules are going to liven things up. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And while you're in the app, keep listening to hear narrated articles from our News Plus partners. I'll talk with you again tomorrow.